Now, we don't know everything about God by looking at the trees in bloom, or by gazing at the mountains and the seas, or by examining the intricacy of the human hand, or the complexity of the human mind. But we know enough about God from any one of these things to bow down before Him in worship. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and today we begin to take a look at what you're calling our incomprehensible God. No way that uh, as humans we can really wrap our minds around all that God is, but Jonathan, you're saying just from, from looking at nature, we should get some idea or at least enough of an idea of God to worship Him? Well, the revelation of God in the natural world all around us, it's, it's not enough to lead us all the way to salvation. We need, we need the specifics of the good news of the gospel in Jesus for that. But the revelation of God in the natural world is enough for us to be accountable to him, to recognize him as creator, and to give him our worship. So if we do get to the point of recognizing that obviously there is a higher power, there is a God, there is a creator, because many cultures have gotten to that point, as you just said, that's not enough for the gospel though, right? So if we worship that higher power, it feels like it's, it's incomplete. Well, that's right, and it's, it's why the gospel of Jesus needs to get out. It needs to be spread abroad to the whole world. It's part of the reason why, actually, we offer these broadcasts on Encounter the Truth, because we want the specific knowledge of salvation through Jesus to be available to people. And if that's something that uh, those listening don't yet understand and know about, we really want to invite listeners to pay close attention to what's coming on this broadcast and on subsequent broadcasts on this theme because it's so important. Well, I hope that you will stay with us as we get started on this message, The Incomprehensible God. Here is Jonathan. According to a medieval legend, Augustine of Hippo was one day walking along the beach when he came upon a small boy scooping up water with a a shell in his hand. The two of them, the great bishop and theologian and the small boy, they struck up a conversation. And Augustine asked this boy what he was doing, to which the boy replied that he was emptying the sea. Augustine tried to tell him that, you know, you you can't do that. It won't work. That will be a futile exercise. Well, they concluded the exchange, and Augustine went on his way. And as he went on his way, he began to reflect on this brief conversation. And as he did so, this fact dawned upon him. If that little boy on the beach cannot gather up the sea in his little shell, how much can he, Augustine, a mere human thinker, contain the infinite God in his finite mind? Our theme this morning is the incomprehensibility of God. That is, the truth that God is not fully knowable in all that He is. Now, that's not to say that we can't know God in any sense. We can know God and praise God as believers. We do know God. But Christians have long used this language of incomprehensibility to express the truth that it is impossible for us as finite creatures to fully grasp the infinite God. We cannot know God as He knows Himself. We cannot know and comprehend all that He is. 
It's more than we could expect. It's more than we could manage. And it's more, actually, than God has given us to know. Some years ago, A.W. Tozer expressed his concern that Christians were reducing the infinite God down to a more manageable size, imagining that they could fully comprehend Him. And he, he wrote this, "'Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get Him where we can use Him, or at least know where He is when we need Him. We want a God we can in some measure control.'" We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like. And what He is like, of course, is a composite of all the religious pictures we have seen, all the best people we have known or heard about, and all the sublime ideas we have entertained. If all this sounds strange to modern ears, it's only because we have for a full half century taken God for granted. The glory of God has not been revealed to this generation of men. The God of contemporary Christianity is only slightly superior to the gods of Greece and Rome, if indeed He is not actually inferior to them, in that He is weak and helpless, while they at least had power. Well, Tozer, I think, hits the nail right on the head. The danger he saw in his day, fully half a century ago, is the danger that remains in our day. And I believe this morning that our great need is to see that the God of eternity, the God of creation, our Lord and our Redeemer, our Judge and our King, is greater and bigger and more glorious and more wonderful and more powerful than our finite minds could ever conceive. So that leads us to the first point that I want to make, and I, I want to emphasize this morning, the truth that God has not revealed Himself exhaustively to us. Let me say that again. God has not revealed Himself exhaustively to us. Many in this room here work for the government, and some will have different levels of security clearance given for your particular role. CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, manages the security clearance program, under which I gather there are four levels of clearance, topping out at level four, the enhanced top secret level. We won't ask for a show of hands to see who has that. You probably couldn't tell us anyway. Now, if you operate within that misty world of security or defense, you will understand that depending on your clearance level, there are certain things which have been made known to you, certain types of information to which you have been given access for your role, and certain things that have not been made known to you. That's just the way it is. And everyone understands that there are good reasons both for giving and for withholding information. When it comes to our knowledge of God, I think we tend to assume that we have the right to know everything that can be known about God. But as we examine the Scriptures closely, we find that this is simply not the case. That's just not true. As we look closely at the Scriptures, we soon discover that there are aspects of divine knowledge which are actually not given to us to know. Perhaps the most famous and most significant statement in the Bible in this regard is to be found in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. Here, Moses delivers a message from the Lord to the people of Israel, and he says this, Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, "'The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words 
of this law. Well, that's a very fascinating verse of Scripture, a very fascinating statement. Think about what it tells us. It tells us that there are essentially two categories of knowledge in the world, two types of information. There are, on the one hand, the secret things that belong only to God, things that in His wisdom and sovereignty He has decided not to reveal to us. And then on the other hand, there are the revealed things, things which God in His wisdom and His kindness, His mercy and His grace, things that He has chosen to make known to us. There are levels of clearance, if you like, when it comes to divine knowledge. And that top level, that secret level, belongs only to God Himself. Now, why that is the case, we don't, we don't fully know. But there is unquestionably an aspect to this which is for our own protection. There is only so much of God in His glory, God in His majesty, God in His holiness that we could see or comprehend without being totally overwhelmed, even destroyed. That truth is actually very powerfully illustrated for us in a famous incident in the Exodus narrative when Moses asks the Lord if he can see him. This is Exodus chapter 33, and I'll read for us from verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and you, with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Moses wants to know God. He wants to know His name. He wants to know His ways. And God promises in His kindness to go with Him and to go with the people and to proclaim His name, the Lord, in their presence. Then Moses says, but I want to see you, God. I want to see your glory. And God says, look, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand as I pass by. And once I've passed by, I will remove my hand, and you will see my back. But Moses, that's as far as this can possibly go, for no one may see my face and live. You see, the sight of God as He truly is, Him in all His glory, in all His holiness, in all His splendor, in all His majesty, it's more than a human being can manage to absorb. 
we cannot see and encounter the very essence of God as he truly is. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called The Incomprehensible God. It's a series where we're taking a look at the attributes of God. And if you miss any broadcast in the series, you can always come to our website and listen online. The website address is EncounterTheTruth.org, and there you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. All right, let's get back to the message. Here is Jonathan. Scottish theologian Thomas Boston wrote that God, in His infinite being, lies hid in rays of such bright and radiant glory as must forever dazzle the eyes of those who attempt to look into it. It's like trying to look at the sun. It's destructive for our eyes. We mustn't do it. It's too much for us to manage. Now, none of that should surprise us very much, of course. If God is truly God and we are truly His creatures, we should expect to be limited in our ability to comprehend Him. Even if God chose to tell us everything there was to know about Himself, we could never process it. We could never comprehend it. And Scripture after Scripture after Scripture reminds us that the God of heaven is more powerful, more great, more glorious, more wonderful, more majestic than we could ever fully comprehend. We won't try and dissect all these statements of Scripture, but just listen to a handful to get the the overall impression of it. Job chapter 5 and verse 9, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Job 11 verse 7, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Psalm 145 and verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Isaiah 40 and verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. No one can fathom the greatness or the mysteries of God Himself. His thoughts and His ways are higher than ours. He hasn't made Himself fully known to us, exhaustively known to us. He has kept some things secret, and even what He has revealed to us, it's more than we can process. As Aquinas famously wrote, the infinite cannot be contained in the finite. God exists infinitely, and nothing finite can grasp Him infinitely. Our limitless God is incomprehensible to us, His limited, His finite creatures. We're never going to know Him as He fully knows Himself. And I want to suggest to us here this morning that that is actually a very, very good thing to know. In our age, when we have the world's information at our fingertips through the internet, 
in an age when every fact seems to be just a click away, it is very, very frustrating not to know stuff. Don't you find it frustrating not to know things? It's frustrating to feel that we're not being told something that we would like to know. You may have noticed just yesterday the outcry there was that CSIS had destroyed its secret dossier on Pierre Trudeau 30 years ago, meaning that the public are never going to see it. But we want to know what was in that file. I'd like to know what was in that file. We feel we have a right to know what was in that file. It sounds to us like bad news that God has not revealed Himself exhaustively to us. Sounds frustrating to hear that He is incomprehensible, but I want to suggest that this truth is good news and it is full of very great comfort for us. You see, at the end of the day, we actually want to know and we need to know that there are those around us whose knowledge and ability go beyond ours. I mean, imagine you're heading for a major medical procedure, brain surgery or complex heart surgery. You don't ever want to reach that point where you feel you know as much as the surgeon knows, that you feel you fully understand all that they've learned and all that they do. What you want to know, what you need to know when you lie down on that table and close your eyes, what you need to know is that your knowledge and your ability is limited and theirs is far more extensive. That's what matters to you at that point in time. You want to know that they know, that they have learning, that they have ability that stretches far beyond yours in this area. If you and I were to put God in a little box and have Him all figured out, that would be a scary position to be in. That would be a terrifying thing. But praise God, His knowledge and His being, it goes far beyond anything we could ever comprehend. God has not revealed Himself to us exhaustively. That's our first point. But here's the next thing we need to know and that we need to delight in. God has revealed Himself to us truly. Although our knowledge of God is limited, in His grace and in His mercy, He has gone out of His way to make Himself known to us. In fact, if God had not chosen to reveal Himself to us as He has chosen to reveal Himself to us, we would be entirely in the dark about Him. Psalm 19 tells us the wonderful truth that God has revealed Himself in part through the creation itself. The heavens declare the glory of God, says the psalmist. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The very creation tells us that there is a wonderful and glorious, creative and powerful God who made the world. As I was working on this part of the sermon, I was sitting in my study at home, just looking out the window and seeing the blossom on the tree outside. And simply in looking at that, you have to think what a generous, what a kind, what an artistic God we have. What a God to make such a world that is beautiful and inviting and bountiful like this. And of course, simply observing the hand of God in creation, that gives us a responsibility to respond to Him with gratitude and with praise. 
Paul picks up the essential truth of Psalm 19 in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, and he draws out this very basic implication. And it's very sobering, actually, what Paul says to us in Romans 1, and I'll I'll read from verse 18. He says, "...the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness." since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, we don't know everything about God by looking at the trees in bloom, or by gazing at the mountains and the seas, by looking at all the animals in their wonderful diversity, or by examining the intricacy of the human hand or the complexity of the human mind. But we know enough about God from any one of these things to bow down before Him in worship and in adoration and in praise. And what Paul is saying in Romans 1 is that a failure to do that is actually culpable before God. But of course, God has done more than simply leave His creative imprint on the world. God has actually spoken. He has spoken His Word and given us the Scriptures. In in the Old Testament, He gave us His law through Moses, and He sent His prophets. He made Himself known to us. But His Old Testament Word, it pointed forward, didn't it, to a deliverer who would come a rescuer who would address the problem of sin, of human guilt, of human rebellion. And so when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, John refers to Him as the Word made flesh, the promises of God fulfilled in human form. The message of God now come as a person. John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Through the Scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the comprehensive Word of God, the full revelation of God. Not that God has told us everything, but He has told us everything that He wanted us to know. He has told us all that we need to know in order to honor Him as Creator. He has told us all that we need to know in order to be able to obey Him. Remember again Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Everyone in ministry loves that verse. It's a tremendous get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, someone comes along with a, a difficult question, and you have no idea how to answer it. Well, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Let me just leave you to think about that. Uh, I commend it to you. (laughs) But what God has told us, He's told us in order to enable us to respond to Him in obedience and faith. That's the point that's being made there. That's His purpose in Revelation. And His Word is all that we need and more than we need. I often think back to that hymn, many will know it, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? What more can he say 
There is a fullness to his revelation to us. It's not exhaustive in terms of his personal self-revelation. We couldn't cope with that anyway. But in the word of God, we have his true, his rich, his sufficient revelation of himself. You're listening to Encounter of the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called The Incomprehensible God. And we have to pause the teaching right there, but we'll come back and continue this message next time. Well, we're able to be on this radio station because of your generosity. We really are a listener-supported program. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called A Good Old Age. It's written by a pastor named Derek Prime. And it's an A to Z of loving and following the Lord Jesus in later years. Derek was in his 80s when he wrote this book. He's now home with the Lord. But he really wanted to show believers that there are 26 Christian priorities that we should hold later in life. You want to find out what those are? We'd love to send you a copy of this book as you give a financial gift of any amount this month. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.